Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited, shall taste my banquet. Reading God's word. Thanks. So a couple things just to clean up. Um, after the, this morning, during this morning's service, uh, We'll have, we'll look at the word together, then we're going to share the Eucharist together, and then there's going to be a presentation after that. We're going to have a short presentation about uh, an opportunity we have to really minister and help, and uh, so that will all be part of the service as we finish, so just so your expectations are aware. And then, for those of you participating to the Welcome to Hope class, that will be in Cafe 2 and the local on loop discussion group at the end of the hallway here. I also want to let you know that uh, the search committee for our youth pastor position and the session, uh, after interviewing a couple of few weeks ago, came to a unanimous uh, decision that this was not the person God had called to be with us. So uh, that was great that we felt that that was unanimous and that that was something, but it also puts us of, okay, Lord, what are you doing? So continue to pray for us. Continue. If you know people who have a heart for youth, we, we just want God's person. Uh, and uh, it was a, a wonderful couple, wonderful uh, guy, um, but just didn't feel like that was the one God had called here. So um, anyway, so keep us in your prayers for that. This morning, we're going to talk about the power of food. All through Luke, there is uh, there are meals, and all the time Jesus is teaching during meals. He uses meal time. 
you know, when you eat with someone, something happens. When you invite them into your home or conversely, when you're invited to someone home, there's just, it breaks down barriers. And, and so Jesus is invited in. He didn't have a home in the same way where he could invite people, but he went to people's homes. And we already have in Luke, there's about 12 stories of eating together food and the power. Never underestimate the power of the table of being able to, uh, for teachable moments to learn and to see. Um, we have enjoyed over the years so much having people in our home and just figuring out, you know, what God's done in their lives. It's so encouraging. Um, when you have a larger event, like a wedding, now we had two Zoom weddings uh, in the last couple of years, so I, I don't know this personally, but I was married. I have been married, and having that kind of event and been to some of y'all's weddings, and uh, y'all have been to weddings, and it's tricky inviting people to events like that, isn't it? We all know you've got the uh, inner circle that are definitely coming. You have immediate family, and then you get, like, the rings, right? If we invite this person We've got to invite this person, right? And then you have the parameters of how many people, what the cost is, and then you have your bubble people, right? At the very end, you've got like four slots left, and you have like 15 people, and you're like, okay, but who's this person going to talk to? You know, it's it's kind of tricky. When we got married, 32 and a half, closing on 33 years ago, I remember really distinctly about a week before the wedding, it was a couple of hundred people and we had, you know, gone, done the whole thing, seating charts, whole thing. And I got a call from one of my parents' friends, not my friends. This is somebody next generation older than me, guy who had been involved in the church I grew up in, my parents' church, many years, lived in our neighborhood. And he said, um, and he's kind of a formal guy, and he said, clearly, um, my wife and my invitation must have been lost in the mail. And I said, I have no, I'm thinking, I have no idea how to respond to that. And he said, um, you know, clearly it's an oversight. Uh, I just wanted you to know about it. And I'm like, how do you tell him he wasn't invited? How do you tell him? Not only was he not even on the bubble, I couldn't see the bubble when looking at him. Like it wasn't, he wasn't on my radar at all. But he was friends of my parents and he was, you know, somebody I knew. I'd served on a committee with him at the church we attended. I mean, I knew him. My in-laws were so gracious. Like I, I didn't have the, I didn't have the wherewithal as a young guy to say, I'm sorry. We just didn't. So I was like, how, what do we do? And they were like, oh, we'll make room for one more, but it's tricky, right? It's hard on invites. And this morning, what Jesus does is in the context of a meal, he talks about two other meals. In the context of the Sabbath meal, he's invited to the religious leaders of the day. If you look with me, if you got your Bible at Luke 14, beginning at verse 1. On the, on the Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. They were watching him to try to trap him and to try to see what he would do that would violate the the rules of the day. And we already have two other Sabbath meals. We talked about one last week. This this is the third time that during the Sabbath he's done things that they found offensive. And so what we're going to look at here in the meal and in Jesus' stories about two other meals, we're going to look at the human purpose of the meal in their context. We're going to look at 
Jesus turning the human purpose on its head, and then Jesus blowing up the purpose altogether. So the purpose of the meal, turning the purpose on its head, and shattering the purpose so that now we know what a kingdom meal looks like. So in the first century, uh, in this, this, we have to know this context because Jesus assumes the listeners are going to understand what a meal like this would have entailed and what the protocols were because it was more formal than most of our meals. It wasn't just for nourishment. It wasn't just grabbing a bite to run out the door. And Luke is also assuming that his readers understood this. This would have been all throughout the first century in this part of the world. Life for them, first of all, was structured around your social status and your stratification, where you stood in relationship to others, was everything. And one of the ways you knew that, and you could move up or down, was were you invited two certain meals, and where did you sit at that meal? You can find drawings of they would sit reclined, and there would be sort of couches and, and higher class uh, upper upper crust folks that these would have been better suited. And, they, and depending on where you were seated on these couches, declared your pecking order. You know, I found out now that I have chickens, there's an actual pecking order. Y'all have chickens. This is the digress. I digress. But you know they actually peck each other in order. You can tell like the who's high and who's low. It's very much humans like that too. You kind of know when you walk into a room, and in their society, um, opportunities like job opportunities, marriages, um, managing um, advancement were dependent on where you came out in this. It was really consequential to them. So when they saw a meal, it wasn't just feeding their bellies. It was an opportunity to see where they were. It was a cultural indication of who was honored and who wasn't. So this was a very competitive society. It was a very combative society. Think gladiatorial things that people like that. And it was... Um, the the claiming an honorable seat they didn't have i kind of like when you have seating charts you've ever been to a place where they write your name on the thing it takes all the pressure off where you sit i love that. i actually like that it's nothing like that you would figure out and try to deduce where you would have sat based on looking around the room and say well if brad green's there i definitely need to go you know lower than that but you know if I won't say who, but I can definitely be <laughs> above that. So you'd figure out where you would sit based on your own assessment of who you were. Now, can you read this? We don't do this, right? But when you read this story now, think think just a minute. You remember the story where James and John say, Lord, when we get to heaven, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? That's what they're talking about. Is that a meal in heaven? There's going to be a banquet in heaven, this feast after the Ancient of Days. We, we'd like to be in the place of honor because, of course, we're the inside, you know, Peter, James, and John, man, they're the inside guys. So can we have that place of honor? We'll see at the end what Jesus responds to that. It's not quite what they think, right? But that's where they get that from. So that's the first thing we need to understand. The second is, this was a gift and obligation society. That's how it was done so that no gift, except for immediate family, like your children or your spouse, no gift, no invitation came without obligation. You never got a gift without having something, you were expected to give something of equal value in return. If you accepted an invitation, you were supposed to then reciprocate. 
And if you gave an invitation, you were to anticipate getting something back of equal value. So we have those two things going on. This meal as a sense of where you stand in society, and then an obligation. And this wasn't necessarily hospitality. There are cultures where great hospitality, like in the Middle East, where it's just expected. It wasn't that. It was quid pro quo. You give me this, I give you that. So we have those things going on. You had to really consider carefully if you were going to accept an invitation somewhere because you were going to have to invite them back. What did that mean? Did I have the the means and the whatever to invite them? Who was I going to invite back that would interact? And would they be higher or lower? And it was it was all a thing. So that's the context. That's the human purpose of the meal that they had set forward. Well, Jesus begins, as he has done with the other Sabbath meals, somehow a man with what they call dropsy, which is the the term is edema, the swelling, and it was probably a very severe case, probably somebody disfigured with swelling. That's the that's the what we call it. Came up to Jesus during this. Now that man would have been considered ritually unclean. So during a Sabbath meal, that would have been in the first place would have made them very uncomfortable to have this person in the room with them because that would have kind of I don't know, just awkward, have this person talking to them. And Jesus, knowing what had happened before with Sabbath meals, basically asked them the question. We'll look at that in uh, 14, I think it's verse 3. He responds to the lawyers and Pharisees, says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So he took the man and he healed him and sent him away. And then he says, which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day won't immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things. Just like we saw last time, this is Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here for humans to flourish, not for us to obey rules. And so he was not worried about the rules that concerned them. This is the same principle that we've seen that Luke's hammering away on. This was an important thing for them, the high worth of people. Very similar to this last story where uh, there was a presence of a synagogue leader. There was a, the word for released from a demonic possession kind of idea. The same thing goes on. But then in this one, Jesus then tells two stories. In light of this man coming in in a situation where he wouldn't have been wanted, and he knew he wouldn't have been wanted, but he wanted to be with Jesus, and they being watching him, probably wanting to catch him in something. And so in verse 7, it's the first story, and it's a wedding feast. It says in verse 7, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come up and say, "Uh, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place. When your host says, friend, move up higher, then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. And he ends by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
So Jesus turns on his head this idea of I'm coming to see where I fit. And he says, the first thing here is, in my kingdom, the principle is you humble yourself. And for, when, when you talk about humble people in the Bible, it's not what we think of. The humble were those who were of low status. They didn't have anything. And the, the point that Jesus makes all through this gospel is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are people who are low. You see, we look at it, people who have wealth and status, they're higher up. But he says, no, the higher up ones are the ones who are lower in the world's eyes. Jesus had begun to turn this thing on its head. And so these humble people are very blessed. Later we're going to see where Jesus looks at, uh, tells a story about a tax collector and a Pharisee. The one whose voice God heard was the one who just said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, taking that low spot. So the ones who get Jesus' attention, the ones who receive His healing, the ones who receive His power, are the ones who continually lower themselves. And this, I just want to just say, this is a principle for us. All right, now, application. This isn't our issue in terms of mealtime and higher and lower, but I'll tell you one thing that is our issue, at least for me. What does it mean to humble yourself in our culture, in our context? I just want you to think. I, I don't know the exact answer to that. You know, I was trying to think. I was telling Nancy, I was trying to think, what are, what are the examples? And you're going to have to come up with in your world, in, at, at school, or at home, or in your workplaces, or whatever. What does it mean to take a lower place? You know, nobody's offering me a corner office, and I can say, no, no, I'd rather have the cubicle. It just doesn't. It's not in my world. But you know what? There's times when... I could listen rather than speak and take a lower place by allowing someone else to shine. There's a myriad of ways we lower ourselves, but the point is this. The same Peter, the follower of Jesus, who was saying, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll be with you is then writing after he's denied the Lord. He says this, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he would exalt you in due time. I don't know how God will exalt you or exalt me, but I tell you this, I'd much rather put my exaltation in the hands of God than in the hands of man. This idea, and we see it over and over again in the Gospels, we also see it in James 4, the idea that If we humble ourselves, then God doesn't have to. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll give you one way in which I know I need to do this, and maybe you do as well. Declaring my dependence in front of others on God and that I'm not independent. You know, we think of it as a great, Thing to be independently wealthy or independent of other people's help in any way. And God says that's a sure sign of not needing the Lord. Independence. 
we don't, I don't like the word dependent. I'm a dependent. That's what happens when I was little, when I was under 18, and my dad got to declare me as a dependent, right? And he was happy until I turned 19, and I was thrilled when my children were under 18, and I got to declare them as a dependent. And then they were independent, and I got less money back from the government. To say, no, I don't own that. I, I'm just borrowing it. No, I can't afford that. I'm not buying it. Why? Well, I'm dependent on God. I need help. Oh, can you feel something dying when I say those words? I have to call someone up and say, you need, I know some of you would rather take, you know, like bamboo shoots under the fingernails and call someone up and say, would you come over and help me? I can't manage this. Really, I know, I know. You just gouge your eyes out rather than do that. In that passage in First Peter, it says this. Casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. That's an attitude of dependence. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that He would exalt you in due time. Cast all your cares on yourself because you can handle it. Cast all your cares on Him. First and foremost on Him, but then we're called the body of Christ because we, if we don't need each other, we're in an independent society, then we're not fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Finally, we hear the story that Sarah read to us this morning, and this is the last part of where he just blows it all up. Because in this earlier story, you still have the whole, are you going to be higher or lower? The only thing that's changed is rather than you taking the seat of honor, you take a lower seat and the master says, uh, no, no, you move up. But it's still, you're sort of still being pecking order ranked. Not this last story. Listen to this last story, right? We remember what he said. He said, and this one makes, it's so outside of our context. When you have a party, don't invite people you know, friends and family. I've never had a party where I've never invited anyone I knew. And I know this isn't literally necessarily asking me to do this, but it's, it's trying to get us to, you invite people, and please don't invite anyone well-to-do who can pay you back. Because remember, the society we're in, we're in an obligation society where that was a big part of it. And so this master, and he's well-to-do, he's throwing, it says, a great banquet. And he invites many. And then he sends, so they'd gotten the invitation in advance. Maybe they had an RSVP'd. Maybe that was a problem in their society too. I don't know. But the servant had to be sent out to say, the banquet's ready. And we know the story. We heard it just being read. We're the first person, you know. No, I'm sorry, I bought a field. Second person, hey, I just bought some oxen. I got it, you know, the car needs work. I've got the house needs painting, whatever. I just got married, you know, we're, we get, we're busy. We've got other things to do. I want you to notice something. When the master sends out the invitation, none of them say, no, I'd never consider coming. They say, not now, not yet. It's inconvenient. So it's not that they're closed, not that they say, I 
I couldn't darken your doors. It's that life has gotten busy. And the priority is something else other than the banquet. It says the master's angry, or gizo means they're provoked. He set up this banquet and he's been dishonored by everyone saying, no, I, I can't come. And so he goes out and he's doing what Jesus had just described earlier. He begins to go out to the people that are poor and crippled and blind and lame. It's just the people that in verse 13, Jesus says, that's who you should invite to the feast, the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. He says, that's who you should invite. And the, and the servant came back and said, we got them, we got them, all that would come. And then the other half of the banquet hall that's unfilled, he says, go back out. Go outside the city. Go as far as you can. Invite anyone in. You know who came to the banquet? Those who would come to the banquet. The invitation was completely open. Last week we looked at that. Most This is the most inclusive, exclusive religion. People say there's only you know one way to heaven, Jesus. That's so exclusive. This doesn't sound very exclusive to me. Go to the highways and byways and hedgerows and anyone, whosoever, will come Come in. And the ones who are too busy and, and don't, don't want that. Oh, I want to come. I want to come. No, you don't. You don't. As we close here, I, I just want to say two things. Who, who are you in this story? Doesn't say. People conjecture that the God is the master inviting people in. Well, Maybe, but let me ask you something. He's just said you should do this and invite people that can't repay you, that are poor, blind, and lame. Maybe you're the master. Maybe you're issuing invitations to help people who can't help you back. Or maybe you're the servant. Maybe you're the one God says, would you come to a banquet? There's a, there's a feast of eternal proportions. Would you come? Or maybe you're sitting in a hedgerow or somewhere and you need to be invited in and you're one getting an invitation. I think all are appropriate. doesn't say exactly who's who in this. He doesn't indicate, well, God is this and people are that. So think about it. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10 as we close and take the Eucharist, the This story that I referenced earlier about James and John, the sons of Zebedee, this is verse 35. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, Mark 10, 35. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do? And they said, can we sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory, those places of honor? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism which I'm being baptized, you will be baptized. And they said, we're able. And he says, the cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus says, drink a cup. If you want to sit in a place of honor, drink a cup. There's nothing lower. Because the cup 
the baptism he's referring to. We talked about that baptism last week. It's the the wrath of God, the judgment of God that was going to pour out on Jesus that he was willing to take the lowest place. Jesus could is not only the host of the meal, he could always sit in the highest place, couldn't he? Who's going to take the place of the Son of God walking in on a meal? And Jesus says, I did not come to serve, to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He took the absolute lowest place, couldn't be lower, and died Not only a gruesome death, but a shameful death. Because he loves you so much. That's why Jesus died. Because he loves you. And because he sees that worth in you. And so as we think about this banquet and the invitation, the invitation's out there. Come, come. It's not meaning come to church, although that's a great thing to do. It's come to Jesus. Come to the altar of God. Come to the place where you can receive all the banquet that he's laid out. You know the Bible begins with food that shouldn't have been eaten, right? By Eve and Adam and and ends with a great banquet because Jesus takes the curse of the sin, what shouldn't have been eaten, and he turns it in through his own body and through dying for us into the banquet that at the end of Revelation we get to enjoy. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your love for us, for your goodness to us. And Lord, we have so much. Lord, and I don't know where our context is as to how we turn around and apply this, but we can. Lord, I'm sure I do quid pro quo often and wanting back and reciprocation. Lord, teach me to give, to be inconvenient and uncomfortable, Lord. Teach it. Teach me how, Lord. I can do this because on the night you were betrayed, you took bread at this feast, this Passover feast, and you gave it to your disciples Once you broke it and you said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, after supper, he took a cup of wine. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that you died for us. Lord, and when we take this wafer and this wine, we want to remember we're partaking of a great feast, Lord. Not in the human, not what we see, but Lord, what we're experiencing and going to experience when we have life anew. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Living Hope has a table that is open to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If you come to this table, you're you're declaring your dependence on Jesus. And so it's our custom, if you're going to come up front, is to take um, a wafer, and there's darker gluten-free ones in the small container, dip it in the wine, and take and partake by faith, having confessed your sins, having to acknowledge your dependence and need on of the Lord. Again, as Tori indicated, there are 
personalized kits right outside the door. You're welcome to partake in that way as well. If you're at home, you're welcome in the context of your family to partake during this time. These are the gifts of God. They're for the people of God. Come and take them and be thankful.